So have you ever been interviewed for something? Maybe you were interviewed for a job or you were interviewed for a college application or, or maybe for some particular program or maybe a bad date felt like an interview. Uh, just this isn't very natural. You're grilling me and I don't, I don't like this. Uh, but I remember the first time that I was ever interviewed. I was a, a junior in high school and I was being interviewed as I was applying for the Coast Guard Academy up in New London, uh, Connecticut. And so I got dressed up. But I was thinking really strategically, and so I, I got dressed up and I tucked my shirt in, but I didn't want to get too dressy because I didn't want to look like I was trying too hard, right? Uh, I remember shaving my sparsely placed facial hair to look nice and, and, and crisp. I, I practiced a few lines, you know, a few good conversation starters, and, and I, I, I wanted to make sure that I sounded very lieutenant-like so that I would, they would say, this, this is the guy. This is, this is the guy that we need. And, and off I went to the interview, and it was at a, at a library with somebody who was an alumni of the academy and, and uh, also was uh, uh, an officer in, in the Coast Guard. And, and, and the lady was, she was super gracious, but I just, I couldn't get over. I was just so unbelievably nervous. And, and with every question that she would ask me, I'd be answering one while thinking about the previous question. You know, you know what I mean? So I'm trying to answer this, this question and I'm thinking about it at the same time. Was that, was that answer strong enough? Did I talk too much? Did I talk too, too little? I sounded so stupid. She must have, why did I go there? And, 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 and then I'm, wait, what, what am I even answering right? I'm just babbling because I'm thinking about, and you ever had that kind of interview? Just uh, you're nervous, you're intimidated, it's uncomfortable, and you're under the spotlight. I don't think anybody enjoys where they're just being Critiqued. It's not often a, a pleasant feeling. And, and I want to contrast that interview for you and for me with uh, my in-laws house. Now, I don't think I have the stereotypical in-laws, but I, I love my in-laws. My in-laws are, are awesome, and they are the most hospitable people I've ever met in my entire life. And uh, they just have this way of making guests just feel so welcome and comfortable and totally free to kick up their feet and, and, and just relax. And so they always have somebody staying overnight en route to somewhere, or they'll always have, you know, so often have people living in, in their, their house. And, and my wife tells me when she was a teenager, that house was like the house that all the teenagers wanted to hang out at. And, and then when we were dating and, and newly married, that's the house that her brother's friends would all hang out at all the time. And, and, and my father-in-law will always say, he always says, he says, the best compliment that a person could ever pay me is if you fall asleep on my sofa. I'm like, that's, that's okay. I, because to him, that means that you are totally relaxed. There's no pretense. You, you, you can let loose. You don't have to hold it together anymore. You can just crash. If you fall asleep on a sofa, he says, I did a good job a, a, as a host. And I wonder if we have that place in our lives. Hopefully your home is like that. Uh, but maybe you have another place like that where you just can just completely get comfortable with people and you can just, you can just relax, you can just crash, you can just be yourself, uh, no inhibition, no, no pretense. And, and, and what I believe that God wants for us to, to, to leave with today is, is God wants us to know that that place is with Jesus. That place is with Jesus. I just deeply want everybody to know and to experience that place with the Lord, that place of, of refuge for you, that, that he will be 
refuge for you. That, that place where you can retreat, that he is the one you retreat to for refreshing. That place where you're, you're free from judgment, you're free from criticism, you're, you're free from this uh, performance-based culture that we live in. That place with Jesus. And so we're in this summer teaching series that we're calling with Jesus, and we're looking in the, the gospel accounts, the, the, the accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're looking at these experiences that people have with Jesus, that the, these moments that just deeply change everything about their lives. And we're praying that as we explore these together, we'll also have these moments start to take shape in our own hearts, that you would have moments with Jesus that are life-changing this summer. And so the moment that we're looking at today is a moment that, that's not just a, a biblical account that I'm going to stand up here and preach to you, but, but I want to share with you a, a biblical account that has really deeply affected my own heart and uh, God's still using it to, to do some work in my own heart and, and then also outworking in my action. But I have already found serious freedom uh, from what God has uh, been stirring me up with in this passage, and I want you to enjoy this as well. And so, if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to land, uh, verse 40. Uh, just a really great account here through the end of the chapter. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Uh, you can go there in a paper Bible. We have paper Bibles around the room. If you don't have one at home, uh, we've got the Bible on the app or the version or whatever it is that you do. We'll get it on the screen for you. As well, we want you to get your eyes on a copy of the, the scriptures here. This is so good. Uh, let me paint the context that we, we find ourselves in before we start to read uh, the scriptures here. We're, we're in one of the most high-paced stretches of Jesus' three-year ministry on this earth. Uh, Jesus' ministry is just swarming with all kinds of activities uh, where we're at. It's just non-stop. And he's been traveling town to town to town by boat uh, for his ministry at this point. He's just crisscrossing the, the Sea of Galilee. It's about 8 by 13 miles wide and, and long. And so he's just going across the sea over and over again to different places. And, and, and people are, are with him all along the journey. They're, they're, they're with him from the, the second he gets off the boat and, and, and all the way to the moment that he gets back on the boat and goes somewhere else. And so uh, before we read the passage, let me just kind of give you an overview of just some of the last, the most recent stops in Jesus's boat ministry at this point. Jesus, first of all, he, we, we, if you look back a little bit in, in the book of Mark, actually, the Mark's account, Jesus is teaching by the sea and the crowd is so intense and they're so pressing up on him that he says, hold on guys. And he gets up on a boat and pushes off a little bit and that that water kind of serves like a natural amphitheater and also gives him some space so that people on the back can hear and see and 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 learn from him and so there's that moment he gets to a boat and the sea ends up becoming really for him in, in this little stretch of ministry the only place that he can get some some space and so he teaches, and then our, our, our next scene is at the end of that day, Jesus decides to get on a bo- that boat and, and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to minister to more people. And, and, and so he and his disciples get into a boat, they set off together, and, and what ends up happening is it, his ministry is so crazy that it actually tells us in Mark that, that other boats start to follow him. They want to they continue on with, with Jesus, and, and it's just so hard for him to, to just get a little bit of space, even on the, the sea at this point. I wonder if anybody's ever had 
house guests before and they've been around for a while and, and you know, you're being hospitable and, and you love them, but after a while it's just, it's time for them to go. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, is, it is time. You love them, but you need your space and so you walk them out the door and it's been so great to have you and they're all, you've been so gracious and so hospitable and thank you. Oh, any time, see you later. And you shut the door and you're, Oh, right? You ever had that moment, right? And so that, that, this is where Jesus is at. It's just all day long. I mean, give me just a peaceful stretch across the Sea of, of Galilee. Nope. He, he gets now onto the, the, the water and a storm breaks out. And we looked at this a few weeks ago. The storm breaks out at night and, and he calms the storm. It's this amazing miracle. And then Mark chapter 5 says, this is the long day. He teaches. He goes out on the sea. The storm breaks out. He calms the storm. Another miracle. Then he gets to the other side of the sea. And can the man just get in a tent and go to sleep or, or something? No, he gets there. And when he gets out of the, 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 here's what it says. Mark chapter 5 says, they came to the other side of the sea. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So there's this crazy guy who's been hanging out in the tombs. He's demon possessed the second after a long day and then another miracle. And then he gets to the other side of the sea, steps out and immediately crazy guy shows up and Jesus heals him and helps him to, to, to have peace and be in his right. I mean, what a day. This is just crazy. And this is where we find Jesus now, where we're at here in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 40. And so, so look with me at, at, at verse 40. This is now when Jesus returns. So he, he now comes back, right? So he's one side of the sea, miracle on the sea, to the other side, crazy man, miracle, goes back again to the original place where he was doing the teaching. He goes back, right? And the, the crowd welcomes him. It says, when, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. So as soon as he gets off the boat, more people. I mean, this is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Mom, 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 mama, mom, mom. Ah, this is, this is what's going on. And we, I just, I love, this is unbelievable. And I just could, I'm, good thing I'm not God. Good thing I'm not Jesus. But just, he gets off the boat and just Boom, there's this massive inter- interruption. Jesus, Jesus, the crowds. Now, read on, verse 41. It says, And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. So, in the midst of all the commotion in the midst of the busiest stretch that we've seen so far of, of Jesus' ministry, back and forth and nonstop, people nowhere to get some reprieve. A man comes up to Jesus amidst the people already begging for teaching and healing from Jesus. And, and the man is so desperate, he falls at the feet of Jesus because his only daughter is, is about to die. And there's yet another interruption. First interruption gets off. Lots of people. Second interruption, Jesus, I, I, I need you. And Jesus says, well, you know, there's only one of her. And you look at the crowd and there's like thousands of them. And so I'm going to hang out here because I'm going to have a greater impact with these guys than with your, is that what, no, that's not, that's not what he, he does. He, he goes on. And so look at verse 43. And we're just going to read to the end of the chapter here. So the people uh, press on around him. And in verse 43, and there was 
there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And she came up behind him and, and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, Someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing him, said, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, who were his closest disciples, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. And he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So, here's where we're at. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jairus comes up. My daughter is about to die. And he, he, he requests Jesus to come and to see his daughter. And so Jesus starts to walk and en route to going to see Jairus' daughter. This woman comes up through the, the, the crowds and it says that she's been bleeding, uh, menstrual bleeding for, for 12 years. And, and she spent every bit of money that she has, all of her income, on doctors and, and, and sees no success. And, and, and listen, not only was this the physical issue that's obvious here, but it's also a spiritual issue because according to the Mosaic law, she would have been considered ceremonially unclean, which would have caused her to, 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 to be kind of socially isolated and, and spiritually isolated for 12 whole years. And, and on top of that, she's, she's poor. She's poor and, and she's alone. But one day, Jesus, who she's seen before, Jesus, who, who she knew all about his miracles, Jesus is back in her town again. And, and she knew of Jesus and she believed, Jesus can heal me. And so she, she maneuvers her way through the crowd and she presses in, finally gets close enough that she can brush the edge of his, his clothes, his, his garment. Now, here, here's the thing, though. Jesus is already in the middle of a miracle. Like Jesus is going to heal this other man's daughter. And he could have said, when this lady brushes him, he could have said, listen, listen, lady, you've lived with this for 12 years. This girl is about to die. You can hold on a little bit longer. This is, this is urgent. He, he could have done that. But, he, of course, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He, he pauses. In that moment, he... He has healed her, her faith and the power of Jesus comes out upon her and, and heals her. And then he pauses and he acknowledges her and he, he speaks to her and he speaks about her before the crowd. And, and, 
and affirms this woman who has exercised such great faith, a woman who would have been ostracized, a woman who in that culture people have said she has that ailment because of some kind of sin in her own life. And so she would have just been looked down upon. And Jesus pauses and he, uh, he affirms her. Jesus notices those people who go unnoticed in our culture. And maybe that's how you feel, but Jesus notices you and he, he sees you and he cares for you. This is the most important man alive. And he acknowledges probably one of the most insignificant women according to that culture in that particular town. This is our God. And in the midst of all of this, someone comes up and says, too late, because you paused to heal this woman and to spend time and to teach about this woman's faith, this child died. Interruption number, what, four at this point? Jesus goes and he says, no, 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 she's, she's sleeping. And they laugh. No, we know what a dead person looks like. She's, she's not sleeping. She's dead. And, and Jesus goes in with his closest disciples, a mother and father, grabs her by the hand, and tells her to, to wake up, and, and she does. Now, this is, a, this is just an interesting exchange. And one of my, uh, again, I've told you just recently over the past probably couple of years, it's just been really powerful and impactful in my own life. And I, and I, I just want to make some observations from all of this. There, there's so many directions we could go. We could talk about faith for a very long time. We could talk about all kinds of stuff. But, but I think we're, what God wants us to see this morning is, in particular, this concept of being with Jesus as we're looking at this together for the summer. And, and, and as I've studied the, the life of Jesus... I tell you, this is the most important man who has ever lived and never, never does Jesus look like he's in a hurry. Never. Never does he act like he's booked up, like he's stressed out, like he's unavailable. Never. Jesus is always responsive to be with the people who pursue him, who long to be with him. Jesus is always responsive as we look at his life to the people who long to be with him. Jesus' own brother, who would have seen this up close and personal, James chapter 4 verse 8 says, "I I can say this with confidence, that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. If you think about some of these occasions in the life and the ministry of Jesus, of people going near to Jesus, think about Nicodemus. Here's Nicodemus. He's, he's, he's a religious leader, and, and, and he slips out in the middle of the night, and, and, and he goes to, to see Jesus in the night, and he, he has some theological questions that he wants to get answered, and Jesus doesn't say, listen, it is late. It's dark. I'm trying to get some, some rest. By the way, are you a coward? Why are you waiting until the sun goes down? Why are you waiting until everybody's in their house? They didn't have electricity and street posts and all that. They didn't have that. What's going on? You come to me. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, talk to me in the morning. I'm trying to, I need to get some rest so that I can do my thing. And do. No, he, he takes time with Nicodemus and he teaches Nicodemus and he answers Nicodemus's questions about how can a man be born? He just, Jesus takes time with him. Think about Mary Magdalene. While, while culturally, she, she should have been in the kitchen. She should have been culturally, in that culture, serving Jesus. I mean, you have this important rabbi in your house, and, and her sister's out working in the kitchen and, and, and waiting on and, and, and trying to make sure this is a great uh, moment with, with Jesus, the rabbi. She, where, where's Mary? She's at the feet of Jesus. And when Martha comes out and she complains, Jesus, come on, I mean, you're gonna, 
why don't you rebuke her for, for not doing what she should be doing? What does Jesus say? She's doing the things she should be doing right now. Mary pursued Jesus. Mary flipped all the, 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 the cultural norms of femininity up, up on its head, right? Because she shouldn't, not only should she have been in the kitchen according to that culture, she should also certainly not be at the feet of a rabbi, which is a position where you were a disciple and you were a learner. And, and Jesus says, no, this is good. What's happening here? This is, this is good. Think about the prostitute we looked at a, a few weeks ago. Jesus is over at, at, a, at a Pharisee's house and, and they're having this great moment with, with Jesus and this prostitute comes in and, and she washes the feet of Jesus and she's weeping and it's just this really, if you were there, a tremendously awkward exchange. And again, what does Jesus do? He affirms her. This is right. What she's doing, this is, this is good. This is right. Think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, uh, he, Jesus comes through his town en route to the cross. And, and, and Zacchaeus was a, a short man, and, and so he couldn't see Jesus. And, and so he climbs up in the tree because the Lord, he wanted to see, you know, the song. And, and he gets up there, and, and he's, he's looking down, and, and he's trying to see Jesus. And, and Jesus sees him up in the tree, and he goes up to him. He says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house. You're pursuing me, and you want to see me, and, I, and I'm actually going to... The, the person that, in, in that culture, he would have been like a mob leader. I mean, this, is, this guy is, is corrupt. And Jesus says, I'm going to go to your house. I'm going to have dinner at your house. I'm going to hang out with you today. Jesus, we see in the scriptures time and time again for those people who pursue him and who want to be with him, he responds affirmatively. Now, we could get into the, the, the spiritual chicken or well, what comes first? They pursued him or did he do some kind of awakening in their heart for them to pursue him in the first? But we could, we could, we could do that dance. And, and I, I got lots of thoughts on that. But, but listen, they pursue Jesus. And, and Jesus says, you draw near to me, I draw near to you. He, he's responsive to the people who pursue him. And really, here's the big idea for, for the day. That God wants you to be with Jesus without reservation. God wants you to be with Jesus without reservation. And I mean that in every sense of the word reservation. As in, know that Jesus is never too busy for you. Jesus is never, hey, make an appointment. I got, I mean, look at the world. I mean, I got this whole universe I'm I'm in control of right now. He's never too busy for you. He's not too important for you. He's not even too holy to be around you. That woman, how dare she touch Jesus? Because in that culture, by doing that, she would have got him unclean. But you can't make Jesus unclean. Jesus, when people touch him and he touches them, he makes them clean as you read through the scriptures. You can't, you can't. Just know that Jesus is not too busy too important, too holy for you. This past week for me has been a kind of a cool, cool week of, of ministry. A little bit, you know, not the norm. I've been out on the streets a lot and uh, have had just a really, really cool week hanging out in Roslindale and in Dorchester and, and have just interacted with just some, just some normal people in, in, in Boston. And, and many people has, have had conversations with them over the course of the week. Have just, there, there's been lots of conversations when it comes to God that, yeah, God wouldn't be interested in me. I'm definitely not a church person. I don't think God would have me there. I don't, I don't think he's in. And I get to share with him, no, no, I think God loves you. I think God doesn't just love you like I, you know, obligatorily, I have to love people. I think he actually likes you. 
I think God's pursuing you. I think that the reason we're having this conversation is because God is, is pursuing you. And, and, and I've had these conversations with these people. And it's just been really sweet in light of, of this sermon. It's just, it's just so cool to, to read this scripture and then to see people on the streets and think, I think this is the kind of person that Jesus would have been pursuing. I think this is the kind of person Jesus would have said, I'm going to hang out at your house. I think this is the kind of person that Jesus would have said, who touched me? Somebody who has a real sense of their, their need, a real sense of desperation. Somebody who, when they look to Jesus, they say, Jesus, you are my only hope. I mean, I have nothing left. All my money is gone. Everything's, everything's a loss. I, I'm ostracized. I'm, I'm all alone. And Jesus, you're it. And, and those, I think those are the kind of people that Jesus says, your heart's at a good spot. Where you're ready to receive me. And, and, and then knowing that without reservation, you can be with Jesus, meaning he's not too busy for you. He wants you. He pursues you. But then also without reservation in the sense that, that you can come without reservation. You can come uninhibited. Like when you're with Jesus, you can be uninhibited. You can, you can lose the self-doubt. He loves you. He likes you. You can relax with Jesus. You can fall asleep on Jesus' sofa. And I think he'd be cool with it. I, let me ask you when you assess your relationship with God, when you assess your relationship with Jesus, would you say that this is true of how you interact with him? Do you have this relationship with Jesus where you just have a real sense of, I, no pretense, I don't have to clean up for God, I don't have to be somebody that I'm not. I, I know that he knows me, I know that he sees me, even the deepest, darkest parts of me. I think every one of us have kind of that little black box, those things that we hide off, you know. And, and he sees that and he says, I, I know that too, and, and you can still kick back. And, and when you have that place in your relationship with God, it's refreshing, it's reviving to the soul, it's unbelievably restful where you can just let your, your, your guard down and know that God loves me. God loves me. I, I, I just, I long for all of us to have that kind of relationship. I've been on this side and now I've been on this side and, and I, this side is a side that I just want everybody to be on. I know when I say fall asleep on Jesus' sofa, there are people who, whose minds immediately go, ooh, uh, I, don't, I don't know. That seems a little irreverent. That, that seems a little, I don't, I don't know. I mean, this is God we're talking about here. This is the holy God of the, the universe. And let me just say this. I'm with you. And I absolutely get that as well. In, in fact, when we look at both of these characters here in, 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 in Luke chapter 8 that we, we're looking at today, Jairus and this, this woman, both of them at first meeting of Jesus, what do they do? They, they're down at the feet of Jesus. They're, they're, they're falling at the feet of, of Jesus. And, and this woman is at the feet of Jesus with, with fear and with trembling. And, and, and then Jesus points out, somebody has, has touched me. And, and, and I, I think it's important important and incredibly powerful for us to hold in balance this sense of the holiness and the righteousness of God, but also the privilege that God says you can have the kind of relationship with me where you can be you and you can let loose and you can know that I look at you and I love you and I approve of you and it's not going to be revoked based on 
poor performance in the future. That this is what it is because when God sees you, if you place faith like this woman in Jesus, that he is the one, he's it, he's my only hope. If you do that, then when God the Father looks at you, he sees you, a person who has trusted in Jesus, and, and he sees Jesus in and through you. And so God looks at you with all the approval that he has for his own son, Jesus. Should you trust in him. So that gives you that kind of relationship with God where you don't have to perform. You don't have to ever wonder, does he still love me? I mean, after that, does he love me? All the past and all the future is forgiven when you trust in Jesus. And you get that, that peace that we see that this woman receives when he says to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in what? Go in, in peace. And I think for a lot of people, this, this is hard, this, this balance that is the Christian faith, a holy and righteous God and this unlimited, lavish forgiveness and care for his, his it's, it's, it's hard. Because I think for so many of us, power is associated with corruption. It's not associated almost ever with compassion. But as we read of the most powerful being of all time, the, the, the Lord, we see power associated with compassion. We're so used to seeing power abused. With Jesus, it's, it's not abused. It's power, and it's used to serve people and serve people sacrificially. This is our God. Friday night, I had this cool moment where it was, my birthday was on Thursday, and my or my birthday was on Friday, and my, or Thursday, my son's birthday was on Wednesday. And so we went out to celebrate both of our birthdays together and went to Fenway, and we got standing room only tickets and went to the game. And uh, the way it works when uh, we go to Fenway for standing room tickets is if you go right behind home plate, there's the poles, right? And you can kind of sit behind the poles, and there, it doesn't matter. You're, there's always seats at the poles, you know? And so he leans to the left, and I lean to the right, and we're hanging out. We had a great time at the game. Well, halfway through the third inning, this couple comes up the stairs from like right down, right behind home plate. And they come up the stairs and he looks at me, he goes, is it just you and your son here? I said, yeah. He goes, we're leaving the game. You want our two tickets? And I said, seriously? He said, yeah. I'm like, where, where are they? He points, it's right behind home plate. He says, right down there. And he says, see the guy in the red shirt, the guy who points you where to sit? He says, he's waving at you right now? He's like, this is the guy. And so I just, we went and we sat right, it was awesome experience. But here's the, here's the thing. It was so good. Here's the thing. My, my two sons have been into this YouTube channel as of late. Uh, there's this guy named Zach Hample, and uh, he's, he's, this, uh, he's just a baseball fanatic, and he owns a hat for every single Major League Baseball team out there. Out there. He, he's like a, a, just a super fan. And what he does is, is he travels around all baseball season, and all spring training to just different stadiums all over the country. He's hit all the stadiums numerous times. And he's got another guy with him just filming him, his buddy, and, and just filming him. And he goes around and, 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 and his job, essentially, he's made a living off of this through YouTube and advertising. His job is just to collect baseballs at Major League Baseball stadiums. That's what he does. He just has tons of baseballs. And so he'll, he'll grab foul balls. He'll grab uh, home runs. He'll grab what he calls toss-ups. And so he'll come early for batting practice. And he'll stand on the edge and just, hey, right here. And the guys will toss up balls to him. We'll stay afterwards and get these toss-up balls. And, and, and today, I checked this morning, he's collected 9,833 balls in his lifetime. 
I mean, this guy, I mean, what do you do with all these balls? Do you fill a room with it or something? And, and he's always giving them away to kids and stuff. And he, he records himself catching these balls and puts it on his YouTube channel. It's unbelievable. I mean, this guy knows. He never sits down in a game. He knows where to stand, where he's got a whole row to himself. And so he can run and catch foul balls or, or home runs. And, and so we went to this baseball game on, on Friday night. My son, over the past month, has been obsessed with this guy's YouTube channel thinking that he's going to catch a foul ball because this guy makes it look so easy. He leaves every game with, you know, a handful of balls. And so certainly this is going to happen for my, my son. And I told him, I said, buddy, because he was just talking about getting balls. I'm going I'm to give one to my brother. I'm going to give one to my sister. I'm going to give one to my friend. For, I said, buddy, I don't, listen, this guy, this, he's a professional. I mean, it sounds so weird. He's a professional ball snatcher, you know. <laughs> and so, he's, so we get out there. And he's already, we get there, we get an hour and a half early when the doors open for, for batting practice. And, and we get out there and we're, we found this spot because over where the home runs were going to be hit was just not possible. We found this spot where lots of foul balls were hit. And so we're stretched out and he's got a, a section, I got a section. We're, we're dancing, trying to get balls. And I got one ball that landed like three rows behind me and bounced in front. And I was, a, you know, a foot away from the ball when some guy comes and snatches it. And I wanted to say, for the boy, come on now. But it didn't. And, and, and then during the game, no home runs, no foul balls. In fact, with our seat where we were sitting, there was a net over our head. So it was just completely not possible. But we had a great, great seat. And then before the game started, when we realized batting practice was over, we're not going to get any balls. We went right behind the bullpen. And uh, we were waiting for the pitchers to start warming up. And so just a little while before the game, the pitchers start warming up. And, and Rick Purcello comes out, and he's, he's, he's pitching. And here my son is, like, trying to give his very best puppy dog face. You know, he's, he's probably six feet away from the, he's, hey, hey, right here, your ball. And he's just, he's working it hard. He had a baseball in his hand, and, and he had a, a Sharpie marker for an autograph. He, he was going to get something. But no luck. We got we got nothing, no acknowledgement, no toss-up, no signature, no home run, no foul ball. And he was so disappointed. And I had to tell him, buddy, this guy is on YouTube making money off of catching balls. I mean, he's got this thing down to a science. He knows the right place to be. He, he knows the right players that are, that are generous and will do it. He knows where the players hang out when they kind of let loose a little bit and when they're going to be ready to toss up balls. You cannot expect to go to a game and, and get a, a, a toss up. You can't expect to go to a game and get any attention from any of the players on the, the field. You just can't. And, and yet here's the truth with, with what we're looking at today as we study the, the life of Jesus. What we know from the way Jesus is with people is that you can't, you can't expect acknowledgement from Jesus. You can expect from Jesus a deep desire to be with you. You can expect a God who who pursues you. This is what he shows us of himself as we read the Bible. And more than anything else in the world, I want my kids to experience not a glance, not an acknowledgement, not a toss-up from Rick Purcello. More than anything else, I want them to know the, the, the experience of being with Jesus to know the, the privilege that the God of the universe sees him and knows him and loves him and cares for him. And even when he messes up and even when he's not lovable and even when he's not likable, that, that God still, I want him to know that. And I want you to know that. Because it is so 
foreign to to almost every single one of us. We live in such a performance-based culture. But to know the God who, who, when you place faith in him, and and that relationship is is sealed up and shored up by the, the power of the Holy Spirit, No one can snatch you out of his hand. I want you to know that experience that God says, I love you. You can rest in this relationship. You can stretch out on the sofa. You can be you. No pretense. Just come to me. Maybe today, I don't know, maybe today some of you are experiencing God looking at you. Before today, you, you wouldn't even know how to articulate what it even it means. For, but you're, you have this sense of God sees me right now. You have this sense of God knows me. He knows my, my past. He knows the junk that I'm involved in right now. And, and, and you know right now, experientially, what it feels like for God to pursue you. God's doing that. And yes, that's the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in your heart and, and in your, your life. And, and the way that you have this relationship is by placing faith in Jesus. Again, you, you look at this woman, and, and what does Jesus approve? He approves her faith. He doesn't approve her performance. He pref- approves the fact that she's trusted in his performance. That's, that's faith. And so for every single one of us, that's, that's what I, I call all of us to every single week, is would you place faith in Jesus? Would you trust in what he's done? Would you receive the relationship that he offers to you freely? Not based on performance, not based on you screaming loud enough like my, my son screaming to the right fielder, toss up, give me a... But, but, but you just trust in what he's done and that relationship is, is given to you and it's, it's sealed up. And if that's you, you've never given your life to Jesus. Today I call you to that. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That means that if you turn from your independence, or turn from your dependence on yourself and your total independence, you turn totally to him and place dependence and faith in his life and his death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, that you can be made right with God. I want to call you to that this morning. And then for others of us in here, you're a, you're a follower of Jesus, but, but maybe you're at a place where you would, you would have to, if you were to be really honest, say, you know, I don't know that I... I regularly experience a relationship with Jesus and time with Jesus and a, my, 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 my space with Jesus as a, as a true place of refreshing, as a true place of, I just long to be there. Just like we long to go on vacation, but long to be with him. Maybe we just need to, maybe we need to start by, by confessing to God, God, I, I don't have that relationship with you right now. I don't, I don't know that and I, I want that. I'm telling you, when you experience it, you'll do anything to get it. You'll do anything to to be in that that space with him. And so what we've been doing throughout the course of the summer is is each week we've just been kind of giving you an exercise to to deepen your your, your times with Jesus. We've been calling them tools for the tool belt. And and, and really here's this week's exercise that I want to give you. I want to encourage you to to maybe try even this week. And, And this is probably one of the most difficult ones because it involves time. But the exercise I want to give you is, is would you try to carve out uninhibited, unrestricted time to be with Jesus? I mean, just unrestricted, uninhibited time where you can be with Jesus, where you say, okay, I'm going on a walk 
And I don't care if I'm out till 11 at night. I'm going to go out. I'm just going to be with you. I'm going to go sit on the deck. I'm going to go sit on the stoop. I'm going what, to whatever. I'm going to get up early. And I'm just going to be with Jesus. No rush. It's not, hey, Jesus, you got 30 minutes of my morning. Speak to me. He does that too. But if you would just say, hey, today's, today I'm just going to be with God. This thing we call solitude. It's just today, it's just me and you. I'm telling you, when you approach Jesus with that, like, you're the priority. You're the one I want to be with. This is your time. No distractions. It's me and you. He loves to show up in, in those. No, no agenda. Not, I'm going I'm to get with you and I'm going to read the book of Ephesians five times. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. My, I'm just going to go and I'm going to say, God, you lead me and you speak. To my, I believe that he will. I told you a few weeks ago, I've had a couple of moments in my life where I just said, these are the days, God, where I'm just, it's just me and you, getting alone, getting away. And those are some of the most powerful moments in my life, times where I come back and I, I just, I know what God wants me to do. I know the step of obedience. I, I, I know who I need to, to, to talk to. I just, and and, and I'm, I'm praying that you would receive that kind of unrestricted time with Jesus. That, that's going gonna, gonna to take some creativity. I get it. You got kids, you can't say, okay, well, see you later. Pastor told me to, to leave, so figure it out. You know, husbands, wives, help each other out. Make that happen. I'm telling you, I think unrestricted time with Jesus for you will prove to be really, really powerful. It's the example of Jesus, of no agenda. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm step by step by step. And, and what he brings, the Father brings in my path. I'm going to minister to him. I'm going to speak to her. I'm going to heal that person. I'm going to teach that person. What if we reverse that and said, Jesus, you do that for us. I want to do that with you. I'm going to receive that unrestricted time. And I think God's going to move in your heart. And again, in our agenda-driven, performance-based culture, that seems like a foreign, crazy concept. And this is probably my hypocrite sermon if I'm allowed one every month or two. But man, I, I need it. And uh, I know that God wants to, to, to give this to all of you guys, that you can experience him in this kind of way. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to let you talk to God as you, you need to. Would you guys just take a moment to, to close your eyes. This is something we do every week together. Would you just, in, in this moment, would you say what you need to say to God or, or listen to God? And, and I'm going to pray, God, would you speak to the hearts of my friends in this moment? Some of them right now, they are just totally identifying with this woman. Things are falling apart. May you show them that you're their hope. May they place faith in you. And know this relationship that's not based on their performance, but it's based on your performance. And they become a Christian and trust in you. And for the believers in this room, they, they know you and they have placed faith in you and that relationship is secured. But as long as we're in what Paul calls this tent, this earthly body, this temporary dwelling, we're going to struggle with the old ways, the old patterns. Maybe they've drifted back to performance-based living. Maybe there are times with you kind of feel like an interview. They, they sit down with you and they don't even know that you really like them. They don't know that you approve of them. God, would you give them that? Would you give them the discipline to do nothing? 
and just to walk with you, carve out time to be with you. And God, I pray that you would prove true on, on the promise that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And as they experience that, I pray that they would come back to it time and time and time again. So God, we, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for who you are, that we can know the all-powerful God of the universe in a very personal way. So give us that and help us to share it with our world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.